You're listening to a Radio 1 91FM podcast. Aotearoa New Zealand's borders are reopening to the rest of the world at the end of July, with international students, cruise ships and migrant workers returning to Aotearoa. The return of migrant workers and international students comes with subtle changes to immigration policy. Uh, these restrict the periods that they can work here post-study and restricting the areas in which people can work. For example, if an international student studies at below bachelor's degree level, they are restricted to working in the area of their study, and if they change employers, they can only work for less than the median wage. The new policies also see an introduction of a green list for jobs in high demand. These professions will give migrants an immediate pathway to residency to plug a critical skill shortage. We're joined on the phone now by Green MP Ricardo Mendez-March to talk about these changes to immigration policy. Um, Morena, Ricardo, it's great to have you on the show. Morena, thank you for having me. Um, Ricardo, how do you feel about the border reopening to the rest of the world sooner than anticipated? Yeah, I think the border reopening um, hasn't been equitable in the sense that uh, the timeline has meant that we've kind of put forward um, tourists over uh, split migrant families from uh, what we call non-visa waiver countries. So, for example, Pacific Island nations, um, India, and other global South countries. So while we're happy that the new dates means the families will be able to be reunited, I think we could have done far more to ensure that we're prioritizing communities affected by the border closures as opposed to, I guess, um, driving economic incentives by trying to get tourists in. And so what would that far more have looked like? So I think what we should have done is recognise that uh, we've had families who've been split, uh, offshore migrants have been stuck, and uh, through those visa categories that people are in, bring those forward. Um, what we ended up doing instead is saying, uh, if you're from, say, the UK, um, you can just come uh, through one of the earlier stages. If you're a... a family member from somewhere like India um, that needs a visitor visa to come in here, uh, you're going to wait uh, ages later. And so I think we, I would have swapped those things around and prioritised families over tourism. Excellent. And so what is your take on the announced employer accreditation requirements that are coming into effect next year? So we're really happy that employers will need to become accredited. But unfortunately, um, as part of this program to clamp down on migrant exploitation, the government omitted changing one of the most important policy settings that is driving exploitation, and that is employer-bound visas. So the setting will mean that if you're a migrant worker um, and you're coming here to work and you're on one of those accredited employer visas, you can only work for one employer. Um, and we've been told by unions, by migrant workers, by even some employers that um, those settings actually all that it does create a dynamic where by nature of your whole ability to stay in the country dependent on one employer, um, that employer knows that they can take advantage of you. And so, um, again, what we would have done instead is to um, look at other settings, such as, for example, having an open work visa where maybe you can um, switch freely between accredited employers, but not necessarily having your visa conditions tied to one single employer. And on th- on that similar vein, um, what is your take on the median wage threshold that's being introduced with this accredited employer work visa? So the government has been trying to address issues on low wages, and, and our concern is that while uh, the Greens really support measures to lift wages through things like fair pay agreements and, and other policy settings, the, the, 
the way that we uh, put visa, uh, salary criteria to visas means that what we're prioritizing, particularly when it comes to the residency pathways, which is which requires you to have a job that pays twice the median wage, that we're effectively going to prioritize high-income earners, and the gender and ethnic wage gap will inevitably be reflected on the types of migrants that are able to get those high-paying jobs. And so we're going to entrench some inequities as a result of having quite inflexible uh, salary criteria when it comes to um, pathways to residency. And so on that front, what would a Green Party policy look like instead? So I think... um, the pathways to residency under the new scheme, I think, need to recognise other things beyond your salary. So we would have had a setting that recognises the time that you have been here, um, as well as the types of jobs that you're working in. Um, so right now, if you don't match on the one of the green lists or the types of jobs that you have to work here for two years, the only pathway to residency is earning twice the median wage, and we think that's not equ- equitable. The government showed us that we can do things like recognize uh, the sort of contributions that uh, migrants have made when they've spent here considerable amount of time, um, when they released the R21 visa, where they set a sort of settled criteria of having lived here for three years. And so we would have liked to have something mostly to recognize that, you know, we've got to show a bit of reciprocity. We're going to benefit from the um, labor of migrant workers, and we're going to reap the, the fruits of their labor. I think we have to also show some sort of reciprocity to those workers. And moving on to international students now, um, do you think it is fair that students studying a qualification at below bachelor's level will only be eligible for post-work study rights if the qualification they're studying is on the green list? So the way this is a government's attempt to clamp down on uh, shoddy uh, international <laughs> students uh, institutions that like kind of track international students as a to offer a pathway into work um, without necessarily offering meaningful qualifications. And while we do welcome the move to um, improve the quality of uh, services that are offered to international students, I don't think clamping down on work rights is necessarily the way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think we need fire, uh, far better uh, just uh, criteria for those institutions to even be set up. Um, and what we're particularly concerned around um, the way that we've now created a visa system, particularly for students, is that previously if uh, there was a family coming in here and somebody was coming to do study, their partner would be eligible to work, recognizing that if the, if the student is you know, um, focusing on studies, they may not be able to work full-time and make um, a living for the family. But now what they've done is effectively clamp down on the working rights of partners coming in. And that actually, what it will create is um, potential financial hardship, as well as uh, power dynamics for those families coming in here um, with the primary applicant on a student visa. And moving on to those financial hardships for international students, um, the government has increased the cost of living funds required for international students for the first time in a decade. I think it's $20,000 they're required to demonstrate at a tertiary level. Um, is this reasonable? Does it make sense? I mean, this is, again, the government sending a signal that... <laughs> We want people that already come here with substantive, substantive amount of money. And I think what it ignores in terms of the reality um, on the other side for migrants is that many of the migrants coming in here on a student visa, they end up taking huge loans from the bank or from their own family members in order to meet those cost of living requirements. 
And and then, you know, when they finally come here, um, they may have to repay that loan. And uh, because they can only work 20 hours a week, then that puts them again into a potential situation where they working for cash in hand. So I think the government can do better to support migrant students beyond just setting barriers that require them to effectively have tens of thousands of dollars already with them. Because we know that the students that come, many of them do come from disadvantaged backgrounds seeking a better life. And they've the way that they'll meet those cost of living requirements may end up um, becoming creative and putting them in hardship. As we've seen time and time again over the years when we've seen stories of international students um, facing hardship. And so we're running out of time, but I'd like to ask you one final question, which is what would that support for international students from the government look like? So I think, especially right now with uh, um, many uh, factors being quite uncertain, I think we could be extending a lot of the support that we gave domestic students to international students. I think especially when I look at some of those PhD students who have been here for many, many years, who are actually doing full-time work effectively by nature of tutoring or even lecturing, um, we should be extending sort of um, hardship funds and other things as well as well to them. Um, because if we want to retain those students who are coming here and, and getting up, you know, trained and upskilled, I think we should be offering just as much support um, as we do to domestic students, particularly if we recognize that we may want to retain those students in areas where we have shortages. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.